Welcome, everybody. I'm Pastor Kurt. I'm glad to be with you this morning. And uh, we're on week five of our series of Asking God the Hard Questions. The series is called Why. And this morning what we want to talk about is how to live, how to respond when life seems unfair. Have you ever felt like life was unfair? That maybe you're getting a little more badness than what you deserved in life or a little more unfairness than what you deserved. We want to talk about that this morning. You know, if you were here last week, you saw a powerful, powerful testimony by Tracy Van Dyken. We shared her story of her nine-year battle with cancer. And Tracy talked about how she struggled during that time with feelings of unfairness. You know, why, why me? I mean, she had gone to college uh, to become like a youth worker, wanted to know God better. I mean, she was a, a great person, a wonderful person. And so when this cancer, this mountain of cancer entered her life, she was saying, God, why do I have to have this mountain when other people don't? And remember what God spoke to her about the mountain? You remember if you were here last week? God said this to Tracy. He said, I'm not going to move this mountain, but I want to move you closer to me. And I think that's often what God is about, if not always about, when we go through times in life that seem unfair. And what happened to Tracy in that season and what God spoke to her in that season brought about her season of acceptance. Can you say acceptance with me? Acceptance. Where she said, God, I receive whatever it is you have for me. Yes, I will still struggle. No, I'm not living in denial. But I will receive what it is you have for me. And her acceptance of her condition made space for God. Made space to receive his comfort, his peace, his help, his guidance in her life for the next several years. And she still struggled with her circumstances. How many of you know that's normal? We struggle with our circumstances. But now she struggled from a different place. Rather than a place of resistance and even a place of resentment, she struggled from a place of acceptance. In fact, if you remember, she even described cancer toward the end of her testimony as a blessing that God has brought into her life. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that. But she did, and it was because God had brought her through her struggle, through her pain, through times where she couldn't even do anything for herself, brought her to such a deep place of dependence with Him and trust in Him. And it quieted her raging questions. So this thing we call acceptance is so, so important when we go through life and sometimes life seems unfair. So number one in your notes today, acceptance is when I become willing to receive whatever God allows in my life. We're in the book of Habakkuk. So we've been talking about Habakkuk's life and how he walked through these very struggles like you and I do. And Habakkuk came to this place of acceptance as well as, as life was chaotic around him after he had asked the hard questions. And remember after God had answered his questions with, hey, buddy, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. How many of you hate it when, when that's the answer, right? But God had answered his questions and Habakkuk came to that place of quiet acceptance of what God had for him and for his people. So in chapter 3, verse 16, beautiful verse, because it, it, it marries together the struggle with that quiet place of peace that we come to. Here it is. Habakkuk says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. How many of you know he was afraid for what was going to come to his people? But then he says, I will wait 
quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Habakkuk came to that place of acceptance where he knew God had a plan and a purpose. And again, I want you to notice this doesn't mean you stop struggling. This doesn't mean that the pain subsides. It doesn't mean that you stop thinking about these invaders as Habakkuk mentioned in his life that are coming. I mean, Habakkuk trembled with fear. He quivered. And I, I want to say this morning, I believe we all have invaders in our life. Like Habakkuk, his invaders were going to be, you know, these tribes of warriors. But for us, we have invaders in our life as well. I've been invaded in my life. I've had invaders against my marriage. I've had invaders against my children, my family. I've had invaders against my health. I've had all kinds of invaders in my life, and so do you. We've had invaders of our unity when it comes to the church world, worldwide. But it doesn't mean that we stop struggling. Acceptance doesn't mean that we stop struggling. So Habakkuk struggled. Jesus struggled, if you read the end of his life. And Tracy struggled. I struggle, you struggle, and still the invaders come. And I want you to understand this. I'm not saying the invaders disappear. But we struggle differently when we reach acceptance. We struggle from a place of peace that comes when you accept what comes from God, what He allows in your life, and you make room for the Prince of Peace. It's different when you reach acceptance. It's still hard. There's still pain. There's still disappointment. But you make room for His love and His mercy and His comfort in your life. You know, just an informal poll here. How many of you have sometimes been at that place of acceptance where you said, okay, God, I receive what it is from you? And it's hard, but I receive it because I know that, that you're allowing it and you're in it. So I think, and I wanted to talk with you about this this morning, that we struggle the most with acceptance when we feel like life is unfair. I mean, when we've made stupid choices that have caused consequences, it's one thing, right? But when it feels like we've just been dealt a hand... That is unfair. Uh, we can really struggle and we can ask the question like Tracy, God, why me? But I want you to know the moment we ask that question, another question emerges. God, why not me? Why not me? With the billions of other people around the world that struggle with conditions and struggle with problems and issues in their life, some much more severe than me. If I ask the question, God, why me? I might ask the question as well, God, why not me? Why not me? How is it you've chosen me to live in this condition? To struggle well with you? To make room for you in my life? So that's a great question. It's a great question to ask. You know, when we allow ourselves to be overcome by thoughts of unfairness, it leaves us feeling alone. We feel like nobody else can understand what's going on in our life. And we close ourselves off from God's grace and from His comfort and we get resentful toward him. When we feel life's unfair, what we're really saying is, God, you're unfair because God creates life and God allows things to happen. So we're really saying, God, you're unfair. And, and sometimes we are. Sometimes we are saying that. But when we come to that place of acceptance in our life, we open ourselves up to God's comfort and his help and also to the potential of all that God wants to do in us and through us as we walk through this trouble with him. So acceptance, it's a great word. I want you to think about that word this week as you think about Jesus and what he accepted on our behalf. Acceptance makes space in our life. 
It makes space for God, for others, and for change. So I want you to think about Job for a few minutes this morning with me because arguably Job had a case for unfairness in his life. Probably one of the best cases ever. Listen to how the Bible described Job in Job 1. The Bible says Job was blameless. Blameless. Anybody here blameless? We see all the hands. No. Me either. But Job was. He was a man of complete integrity. Who can say that? He feared God and stayed away from evil. So that's the description of Job. So I think we can safely say that Job did not deserve what he got. And the only reason he got it is because Satan petitioned to God and said, God, I want to prove this guy is not all what he's cracked up to be. Give me a shot at Job. And God, for whatever reason, said, okay, okay, I will allow it. Just spare his life. That's what God said. Now, was this fair? So after losing all his wealth and all his children in extremely violent ways, Job says this. He stands up, tore his robe in grief. I want you to notice he was grieving. And he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. Now, there's an interesting response to unfairness. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said these amazing words. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Man, may I be that good of a man someday. Right? So acceptance. Acceptance is acknowledging and confessing God's sovereignty. There's a big word in my life. That God allows us to suffer under the curse of sin. Original sin caused a curse on our world. It includes a curse on our bodies. We're born with problems. We're born with genetic defects. We're born with a propensity towards certain kinds of illness. I have high blood sugar. It could be one day I'll have diabetes. I hope not. I'm working hard not to. But it could be one day. It's in my family. The curse of sin is the condition we're in. So don't blame God. Blame sin. Sin is the rightful recipient of our blame. You know, I grew up skiing Mount Baker. Love Mount Baker. Spent a lot of time up there, especially when I was 17, 18, 19 years old. I'd go up by myself and I would ski. I loved it. And sometimes the conditions were great, beautiful days, spring skiing, you know, shorts and a t-shirt. Yes, I was that guy. And sometimes not so great. Sometimes the conditions were horrible, but it never stopped me from skiing. Why? Because the exhilaration I felt, the joy I got from going down the mountain on a pair of skis, the, 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 the wind, the risk, being injured sometimes. I mean, all of it was such an awesome thing. And sometimes the very worst conditions where you couldn't even see produce the best snow, the the once-a-year powder that Baker sometimes gets if you're really, really lucky. Sometimes the worst conditions provided the best experience. And I want you to think about that this morning. And so realizing God's sovereignty means that I believe God allows, I believe that God sees, He cares, and He's working in my heart and in the lives of those in my life through our conditions, even when they're not good. Even when they're not good. So recognizing God's sovereignty gives way to worship. And you see, Job recognized God's sovereignty. So, so his response 
was worship. Fell to the ground in worship. We still ski. We still ski. So God allows Satan to go after Job's health. He leaves Job in excruciating pain and suffering, just alive enough to feel the pain. He gets boils all over his body, and we find him in part of his story. We find him sitting by the fire, putting ashes on his body and and picking up a piece of broken pottery and scraping the boils off his body. I don't know about you. When I get a boil, I go to the doctor or I put on some kind of ointment. Never thought about scraping with a piece of pottery. Maybe I should try that sometime, right? Next time I get a boil, like it's not every week. Come on. (laughs) So his wife comes up to him when he's scraping his boils and says, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God? And never anything bad. So acceptance. Acceptance is being open to the realities of life and the ways I've been impacted by the conditions of my life and the conditions of the lives of those that I love. This is acceptance. It means I don't fight against God about the realities of my life. I have hard questions. I ask why, like you ask why. But then I accept the conditions for what they are. I do my best to, you know, pursue healing or pursue, you know, whatever health or wellness I can in the midst of those conditions. But then I let God use them in my life to make me into the kind of person he wants to make me. Am I perfect at that? Absolutely not. Is that my goal? Is that my desire? Is that my struggle? Absolutely. That is what I want God to do in my life. And I believe for all of us it's a major part of maturing emotionally and spiritually. And in fact, I think, I think reaching acceptance in our life is reaching a point of maturity that God wants us at where he says, okay, now you can receive what I have for you. You've stopped fighting me. Now you can receive from me. So acceptance. Acceptance is a mind shift. It's a change in response. Instead of how could you, God, it turns into what can we, God? What can we do in my heart? What can we do in my life? What can we do in the lives of others through these conditions? So here's a great quote. Acceptance breaks the control of my condition by releasing resentment and receiving responsibility for what I can do with my problem or my pain. So our pain, physical or emotional, is very real as well as the problems it causes in our life. I'm not minimizing that And acceptance doesn't minimize the severity of these problems, but it helps me embrace what God has in the midst of my reality and that I can live a full life in the midst of the reality of the conditions of my life. And I can actually help others in their struggles. That's ultimately what God wants us to do, comfort others with the comfort that we've received. So acceptance, acceptance is not a lack of faith. You know, we've had so many people just so beaten down and destroyed by, I'm not even sure I want to say well-meaning Christians, saying, where's your faith? When people accept the conditions of their life. When really accepting the conditions of your life with God's help may be the greatest expression of faith as you walk through 
the outcome of these conditions. Was Jesus lacking in faith when he resigned himself to death? Was he? Is that the moment he gave up? Wouldn't it have seemed more like faith to us if Jesus had prayed for thousands of angels to come, which is what he said he could do in Matthew 26? He said, literally, I could pray for thousands of angels and my Father would send them. Wouldn't that have seemed like the big deliverance, the big experience, the best use of faith? But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came to a place of acceptance because the rest of that scripture says, if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? What are God's purposes in my life? So what Jesus did was in faith, accepted God's will for his life, which included a few little things like betrayal, abandonment, denial, beating, mocking, shame, hanging naked, becoming sin, and dying the most painful and horrible criminal's death, which I submit to you required more faith than calling on thousands of angels. Jesus said to the people one time, what requires more faith, that I heal this man or that I forgive sins? You know, there's something deeply faithful about spiritual decisions that we make to reach acceptance. I personally think it takes more faith to walk through the fire with Jesus than to be delivered from the fire by Jesus. So my wife and I were sitting on the couch this morning. We kind of do our parallel devotions, you know. And she said, you've got to see this. You've got to see this thing that just came up on my, on my computer. So I want to read this to you. I think it's a beautiful story. Here's a picture of it behind me. This lady was uh, having questions about being refined in the fire like silver and how the master silversmith has to sit before the fire as the silver is being refined. And the story goes, as she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and he let it heat up. And he explained that in refining silver, one needs to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames are the hottest to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that he sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And she asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time. Like, doesn't it get hot sitting there in front of the fire while your silver is being refined? And the man answered, yes. And he explained that not only had he sit there, had he, did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left even a moment too long in the flames, it would be damaged. The woman was silent for a moment. And then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? And he smiled at her and he answered, oh, that's easy, when I see my image in it. It's just a beautiful story to remember that God sees us in our fires. God is attentive to where we're at. And God will leave us just as long as he knows is good for us, and not a moment longer. Because God cares about what happens to our soul. God loves us. So acceptance is continuing to pray, Father, 
I would love these conditions to change. I mean, that's what Jesus prayed. But I accept your refinement. I accept your will in my life. And here's the thing. Everybody's conditions are different. Like, we can't compare conditions. Because our conditions are important to us, and they're meaningful to us, and they're painful to us. We can't compare. How can we say somebody else's conditions are less than ours? Right? Because our conditions are our conditions. I was having this conversation last week on email with Michael Kelly. Michael goes to our church, and I asked Michael if I could share this with you. So he said, yes, anything, anything you can use, use it. I love that. And Michael recently led a six-week class here on evangelism. I think he had seven people in attendance. Because Michael is passionate. He is passionate about sharing Jesus with the lost. He'll go anywhere. He'll talk to anybody. He's that kind of guy, right? He's an evangelist. But what most people don't know about Michael is that Michael has some brain disorders. And they include bipolar disorder. Borderline personality disorder and PTSD. And Michael shared with me that he takes medications for these conditions. And oftentimes he's questioned whether he has enough faith because he has taken medications. And I assured him, that's not the case, Michael. You do what you can do. You do what you can do. You keep praying, but you do what you can do. And I want to quote Michael on part of his email. Michael said, the medications slow me down enough to allow me to be still. And know that he is God. God's love embraces my heart. And I have more compassion and love for people than I've ever had in my life. Every day I ask Jesus to let me see people through his eyes. Love them as he loves them. And lead me to someone that needs and wants to hear the gospel of Christ. I would take a thousand people with bipolar disorder and BPD and PTSD if they were that passionate about leading people to Christ. I would. And no disrespect, I'm just saying. But yet Michael might be somebody that somebody might eliminate because of his disorder. And God wants to work in us and God wants to work through us no matter the conditions of our life. Here's what I love about Michael. He has accepted his conditions. He has done what he can to help himself, and within his conditions, he pursues with passion Jesus Christ, and his acceptance of where he's at in life has cultivated compassion in him for how he views others. And as he sees his desperate need for Christ, he sees others' desperate needs for Christ. He's not perfect. But his conditions have motivated him to reach out, to those around him. So what does acceptance look like in our life? Here's what it looks like. Honestly appraise my life. Look at my life and stop blaming God and others. We live under a curse of sin. It's that simple. Blame blocks blessing. Blame blocks blessing. You can quote me on that. Secondly, take responsibility for my part. I've caused some of the problems in my life and really only I can choose how I respond in the conditions of my life. I can choose to ski or not. And so I can only change me with the help of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, move past shame and anger and resentment. Move past it like Tracy did. Move past it. Receive and give forgiveness. 
Receive and give forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a huge part of acceptance. It frees you from the prison of resentment. Fourthly, learn lessons from my mistakes. Make changes where I can change. Repent where I can repent from my old way of living, from my old way of thinking. Let God renew my mind, as it says in Romans. And then fifth, and I know there could be more, grow in compassion like Michael did. Grow in compassion for others and their struggles. Let God redeem your story. Let God use your story. See, Michael has a story. He's got a story. He can tell somebody, you know, do you know that I'm on drugs for like three different disorders? And, but God, but God, but God. What a powerful story. So this acceptance happens when I remember, and that's number two in your notes today, when I remember who God is and how he has helped me in the past. This makes acceptance easier. Remembering who God is and how he's helped me in the past. This was helpful to Habakkuk. He remembered what God had done in the past. He remembered God's works and God's deliverance, and that helped him to accept his current struggle. God had delivered before. God could deliver again. So Habakkuk 3.2, Habakkuk says, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. So Habakkuk remembers who God is, and he remembers all the things that God has done, and he remembers how God has been present and how he has delivered his people in remarkable ways. And sometimes I think we forget what God has done, or we don't even know what God has rescued us or saved us from in the past. You know, yesterday I was looking up some medical records because my wife's going back to nursing school and she needs to know her inoculations. So I was looking through the records and I came across some of my mom's handwritten notes about what had happened to me in my childhood. And they included, I had, within the first five years of my life, I had measles, three-day measles, I had full measles, I had mumps, and I had, uh, what was the last one? There was another one. Measles, mumps, rubella, um, I had chickenpox, thank you, yes. I had chickenpox in the first five years of my life. I remember being so disappointed when I got the mumps. I was almost six, and all the rest of my family were going out to pick raspberries. My dad drove bus for a farm, and I couldn't go. That was my disappointment. I couldn't go work. Isn't that horrible? Terrible thing, right? But, but God saw me through those things. Those things have killed people. You know, when I was 11, I got caught in a truck accident between a roof and the top of a truck... And it literally should have and could have taken my head off. My head turned, and I went between the hay rack and the, and the eaves and went through four inches. They measured it, tore my ear, broke, ripped up my shoulder blade, and literally I could have died in that accident. Uh, how many times have I dr- driven cars when I shouldn't have driven cars? How many times have I made it home, shouldn't have made it home? How many? I don't know. I don't know. We don't know what God has done for us. We don't know what God has delivered us from, of course, the greatest being our sin, the greatest being our rebellion, the greatest being our unbelief. God has delivered us from that. So remembering, taking some time, look back through your notes or through your life and remember what what God has been through with you and how here you are sitting today, maybe, maybe a little beaten and bruised and scarred, but here you are. Here you are today. David said in Psalm 77, This is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Even David felt like God 
had, you know, been unfair at times. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They're constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works, O God. Your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. As we remember what God has done for us, living under the curse of sin and under the attack of the enemy can be so incredibly hard. We go through things that really, really are unfair. But when we go through hard things in life, the best thing we can do is remember that this life will be over soon. Now, I don't say that to say that I'm an escapist. You guys know me. I'm here. I'm in. I'm all in, right? I'm all in. I'm doing life. I'm I'm, I'm doing everything I can. But I am saying there's a part and it becomes bigger as the years go by a part that longs for heaven longs for jesus longs for eternity longs to be free and healed and you know not under the curse of sin anymore and i and i say to you today that that's a good thing to remember that's a good thing to remember i literally have days where where if it's a really hard day i'll literally say to me to myself this is going to be over soon i will and god's going to do what's right like like in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? He will make all things right. He will put things right. And God will. So we need to remember when we're struggling is that God planned this planet and planned our creation in His image that we could have eternity with Him. And that's the point of life. That's the point of struggle. We think struggle is the point of struggle. We think life is the point of life. Life is not the point of life. Eternal life is the point of life. And what happens in our life simply serves to change us and to mold us and to develop us and grow us so that we're ready for eternity with Jesus. But we only find this through the struggle and through the fire. David said in Psalm 13, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Does it ever feel that way sometimes? Yes. That's why I love the song, Psalms. It's why I write a psalm on Facebook every day. It's because... They're so real. They're so gut level. And I love David for this. How long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me. Oh, Lord, my God. I'm glad that God doesn't have to turn and answer us because he's in us. Right? His Holy Spirit is in us. That has changed. Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have. Now get this. This is important. You have rescued me. Now presumably when David wrote this, he was still in trouble. But he says, God, you have rescued me before. You have rescued me now. And you will rescue me again. And that is true of us. God has rescued us. Yes, we struggle with the curse of sin. But God has rescued us. It is finished, somebody said. Anybody remember who that was? Jesus. It is finished, right? So there is an art to living the best life in Christ. And here it is. Accept what God is doing. Remember what God has done. 
and trust what God is going to do. That's what I want to leave you with today. Trusting God to redeem the condition and trouble of my life brings growth. It brings change. Lamentations 3 says, I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the pit. You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called. You told me, do not fear. Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. Now there's salvation and there's redemption. Salvation is when you receive Christ, forgives your sins, He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He puts you back together with the Father. Redemption is the continual buying back of your life. The continual using of your life. And and God wants to do that with each of us. God wants to redeem our life. God wants our pain to have purpose. God wants to make sense of our sickness. God wants to use our story to bring about change and hope and Comfort and healing in the lives of the people that that he puts us in connection with. And he wants us to trust him more and he wants us to let him redeem our life. But it only comes through acceptance and through remembering and through trust. So God wants to use your story for his glory. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. You know, I got up at 4.30 this morning. Guess what I discovered? His mercy. His mercy was there waiting, ready. I've told you this before. I wake up and I just lay in bed. And I just pray for the first 15 to 30 minutes. I just lay there and I commune with the Holy Spirit. Because I know I need Him. I want to be ready for my day. And His mercy meets me every time. You should try that. If you've not done that before, just try that. Somebody says, yeah, well, you should try having kids. I know, I know. I get it. I'm sorry. Your day will come. Trust me. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. I would say if there's one thing I could give you today in all of this, and I've already mentioned it, is that to trust in our inheritance, to trust in eternity, to keep our eyes upon the true prize, not to minimize life, not to minimize our relationships and to love God and to love others. Yes, we need to do that. Yes, but we do that for the purpose of eternity, not just for the purpose of life. So when you're having a hard day, when peace is hard to find, remember your inheritance. Trust Jesus. Remember what he did for you, how he pursued you, how he saved you. Every day you can trust in the faithful mercy of the Lord. Every morning he has new mercy for us. So we keep our minds set on our inheritance. We keep our eyes on Jesus, like Becky said this morning, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, (laughs) endured the cross. Why? You. You are why. So this morning we're going to close with a time of communion and I hope it's a meaningful time of just remembering today and reestablishing, if you've lost sight, reestablishing your trust in the Lord Jesus. If you're going through a hard time, 
which would be most of us of some sort, bring that to communion. Bring that to Jesus. Somebody said one time, leave your troubles at the door. No, don't leave your troubles at the door. Bring your troubles to Jesus. Invite him into them. Okay, so there's communion set up all over the room. Um, Go where you'd like to go. Bring it back to your seat, and then I will lead you in a time where we take it together. Okay, let's worship as we do that. Let's worship. Let's worship.